This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, fellow podcast listeners, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 107, entitled Luke's Son of Man Christology. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Hopefully our podcast has helped you to have those very important conversations. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. Having looked at the Son of Man within Mark and Matthew, it is now appropriate to turn to the Gospel of Luke to examine his theology of this crucially important title. Luke overlaps quite a few Son of Man sayings with Mark and with Matthew. So I will try to avoid discussing those passages and focus on the Son of Man sayings that are unique to Luke's Gospel in order to see if Luke changes or complements the Son of Man Christology we have observed thus far in our previous episodes on the topic. Luke very likely used Mark as a source, but Luke published his gospel separately from Matthew around the same time, probably in the mid-80s of the first century. It will be interesting to look into what Luke has to say about Jesus' favorite self-reference, the Son of Man, especially since Luke personally wrote more of the New Testament than even the Apostle Paul. In this episode, we will explore Luke depicting Jesus as the Son of Man who represents the suffering disciples who follow him. What might this have to say about the representative function of the Son of Man? We will also examine a passage where the Son of Man speaks as wisdom, the female figure alongside God in the book of Proverbs. Does this mean that the Son of Man pre-existed in heaven as a divine figure? Lastly, we will explore how Luke utilizes the Son of Man title with the post-resurrection Jesus. What can this theological strategy tell us about the death and resurrection of this human being? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the Son of Man who represents those who suffer, past and present. I'm going to read a passage out of Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you, and ostracize you, and insult you, and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. That's Luke chapter 6, verses 22 through 23. Now, many readers of the Bible are familiar with the Beatitudes from Matthew's Gospel. But, Luke also records a version of Jesus' Beatitudes. 
Luke's version is contained in the Sermon on the Plain, and it bears a lot of striking similarities to Matthew's version in the Sermon on the Mount. This passage, in particular, is one of the Beatitudes that has a subtle difference. While Matthew's version contains the saying, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, Luke 6 verse 22 has the Son of Man in place of me. Does this even matter? And if so, what significance does it bring to the meaning of Son of Man in Luke's personal Christology? Well, Luke's version indicates that the disciples of Jesus are happily blessed when they are hated, ostracized, insulted, and scorned for the sake of the Son of Man. In other words, there is a direct connection between the followers of the Son of Man and the mistreatment they receive. The Son of Man acts as the representative figure for the righteous suffering ones, who in this case are the followers of Jesus in addition to the prophets of Eld. Jesus reminds his listeners that this manner of suffering was also experienced by the former prophets, even at the hands of their kinsmen. It is crucial that we connect the image of the Son of Man figure who represents the suffering people of God back to Daniel chapter 7, where the imagery originated. If you're not automatically thinking of Daniel chapter 7 whenever you see the Son of Man reference in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, hopefully you are doing that by now. For our purposes, we are taking note that Luke agrees with Mark and Matthew that Jesus speaks of himself as the human one, the Son of Man, and that those who follow after this human being will face suffering as a result. Of course, Luke records a number of sayings that overlap with Mark and Matthew where the Son of Man is to be handed over to suffer and be killed. So the Son of Man who represented the suffering righteous ones will also suffer to the point of death. Furthermore, the fact that the former prophets and the followers of Jesus were all human beings whom the Son of Man represents strengthens the argument that the Son of Man is not just a mere representative figure, but a human being who represents other human beings. Let's move to our second point, point number two, which is the Son of Man who embodies the wisdom of God. I'll read a passage out of Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 31. To what then shall I compare the men of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another, and they say, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. 
Son of Man, has come eating and drinking. And you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, wisdom is vindicated by all her children. That's Luke chapter 7, verses 31 through 35. If you recall our discussion on the Son of Man sayings in Matthew's Gospel, we did go over Matthew's version of this passage. However, Luke's version is different in an important way. And the connection between wisdom and the Son of Man is too significant to overlook. In our current passage, Jesus compares this generation with children in the marketplace whose expectations and standards are not satisfactorily met. Jesus then offers two examples that explain his parable. John the Baptist was a righteous ascetic, but he was accused of being possessed by a demon. Jesus, on the other hand, did eat and drink, but he was labeled as a glutton, a drunk, and a companion of the unrighteous tax collectors and sinners. In other words, this generation has rejected the ministries of John and the Son of Man, who both seem to be criticized for conflicting reasons. However, the rejection of John the Baptist and the Son of Man suffered by this generation is not the final word given. A positive note concludes Jesus' parable and its explanation. Jesus says that, quote, Wisdom is vindicated by all her children. End quote. Luke chapter 7, verse 35. For many readers, this comment seems out of place, not seeming to follow as a result of what Jesus just stated. However, I think the comment makes perfect sense, and I want to offer why I think this is so. Wisdom, for those familiar with the book of Proverbs, is a frequent personification of Yahweh's wise commandments and interactions with his people. God's instructions are wise because they come from a wise God. True wisdom, according to the book of Proverbs, is to be found in the instructions and teachings of Yahweh. And since wisdom, in the Hebrew language, the noun chokmah, is a feminine noun, the poetry of the book personifies it as a female figure, as Mrs. Wisdom or Lady Wisdom. Proverbs portrays this personified Lady Wisdom as talking, as inviting the readers to take hold of her commands, inviting her readers to hold her fast and to avoid foolish behavior. Those who obey her ways and walk upon her paths are called wisdom's children. If you look in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 32, the personified wisdom speaks, saying, Now therefore, O children, Listen to me. 
for blessed are they who keep my ways. That again is Proverbs 8, verse 32, where the personified wisdom calls those who obey her and listen to her, her children, her sons. From the time of the book of Proverbs on into the beginning of the first century, there is evidence that learned Jews portrayed important human beings in their literature as, in some sense, the human embodiment of the personified Lady Wisdom. In doing so, these Jewish authors meant to convey that these special human beings exemplified the wise teachings of Yahweh. One could say, if I could borrow a line from John's Gospel, that these special human figures who embodied wisdom and embodied the wise instructions were wisdom become flesh. Now, for early Christians, God's wisdom was not to be found in the commandments and instructions of the Jewish law, the Torah. Rather, for early Christians, wisdom was to be located in Jesus. And many early Christians began to adopt the Jewish practice of portraying certain human beings as the embodiment of Lady Wisdom by making the man, Jesus Christ, to be the climactic locus of God's wise instruction. Scholars have taken it upon themselves to describe the practice of depicting Jesus Christ as the embodiment of Lady Wisdom, as Wisdom Christology. Attentive readers of the New Testament will observe that Wisdom Christology is believed and taught by Matthew, John, the Apostle Paul, the author of Hebrews, and even Luke. Our present passage is just one within the Gospel of Luke, where Luke demonstrates his affinity with regarding Jesus as wisdom's embodiment. But for our present passage, it is Jesus speaking as the Son of Man, who is the embodiment and spokesperson of wisdom. The Son of Man's ministry is rejected and slandered, but wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Note how in that passage, Luke chapter 7 and verse 35, that Jesus switches between speaking of himself as the Son of Man and speaking of himself as wisdom. If you recall, in Proverbs 8 verse 32, the children of Lady Wisdom are those who take hold of and obey the wise instruction of Yahweh. For Luke, the wise children are those who discern that the Son of Man is carrying out the wise ways of Yahweh by evangelistically sharing table fellowship with the outcasts and the sinners, unlike the evil generation of the Son of Man. In other words, wisdom's children set themselves apart from this evil generation, which Jesus condemns in this passage precisely because they 
see in Jesus, the Son of Man, the wise workings of the wise God of heaven. For Luke, it is the Son of Man who typifies and embodies the wise ways and commandments of God. And as a human being functioning as the locus of Lady Wisdom, Jesus can be identified as wisdom, even in such a casual way as we see in our present passage. With this understanding, readers of Luke can observe other passages within the gospel that demonstrate that Luke holds to and teaches a wisdom Christology. For the purposes of our study, it is enough to note that Luke regards a special human agent of God as the current embodiment of the personified figure of wisdom. The Son of Man, for Luke, is wisdom become flesh. And since wisdom is a personification of God's teachings, to portray the Son of Man as the embodiment of wisdom is not to attribute personal pre-existence to Jesus. Our third point today is the crucified, raised, and living Son of Man. I'm going to read a passage out of Luke chapter 24. Let's start in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. That's Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. After the death of the Son of Man, which is the most common way that Jesus in the Gospel of Luke refers to himself when he speaks of his rejection and crucifixion, Luke continues to regard the person about whom the events of the Passion narrative described in human terms. When the women arrived at the tomb of Jesus early Sunday morning, they are greeted by two male messengers who ask why they are seeking the living one from among the dead ones. Luke chapter 24 and verse 5. The two messengers continue by stating that Jesus is not here in the tomb, for he has been woken up. That is, he has been raised from the sleep of death. Then, the messengers remind the women at the tomb that Jesus said that the Son of Man would be handed over, killed, and raised from the dead. It is the Son of Man, that is, the special human agent of God who died and rose. 
It was a human being, distinct from God, who died and who was raised by that God. Luke, as a theologian, is consistent to portray Jesus in precisely human terms when he describes his death and resurrection. In fact, we can say with confidence that Luke continued to regard the risen Jesus in terms of the human Son of Man because Stephen's speech in the book of Acts announces that the Son of Man is currently at the right hand of God. Acts chapter 7, verse 56. As we know from our previous studies of the phrase Son of Man within the Hebrew Bible, it refers to a mortal man, one who is susceptible to death. For Luke, the Son of Man maintains its definition as depicted throughout the Hebrew Bible. Luke nowhere tries to qualify the crucified and risen Son of Man as one who supposedly gave up his immortality to become man. The Son of Man, according to Luke, was mortal, like every other human being. And after the Son of Man completely died, God raised the Son of Man from the dead. For the purposes of our study, it is crucial that we take note that Luke wants his readers to know that even after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus is still the Son of Man, the special human agent of the true God. The women at the tomb remembered these words, and Luke wants his readers to do the same. So, in conclusion, we have observed that the Gospel of Luke is much like Mark and Matthew in that it depicts Jesus Christ as regularly using the self-reference Son of Man. In doing so, Luke shows consistent tendencies within the other two synoptic colleagues. We first noted that the Son of Man was a figure who represented the followers of Jesus particularly those who suffered as a direct result of their discipleship to the Son of Man. By framing the experiences of the suffering righteous ones with the prophets who went before them, Luke not only makes the Son of Man a representative figure for those who suffer, he also makes the Son of Man the human being who will embody the sufferings of those righteous humans. We also observe that Luke depicts the Son of Man in terms of wisdom Christology, portraying the Son of Man speaking as Lady Wisdom herself. After criticizing the evil generation who failed to accept John the Baptist and the Son of Man, Jesus invites those who would become the wise children of wisdom to look upon Jesus' actions and to discern, bearing forth the paths of wisdom. By portraying the Son of Man as wisdom herself, Luke joins many other New Testament authors who depict Jesus as the human embodiment of God's wise personification, as wisdom become flesh. 
And since the personified wisdom is not an actual person alongside God in heaven within Proverbs, but rather a personification, Luke's portrayal of the Son of Man as wisdom embodied is not suggesting that the Son of Man literally pre-existed in heaven alongside God as wisdom. Lastly, we see that Luke consistently regarded Jesus in terms of the Son of Man when he spoke about his rejection, crucifixion, and subsequent rising from the dead. The women at the tomb are reminded on Easter Sunday that it is in the capacity of the mortal human being, the Son of Man, that Jesus has completely died and was raised to now be the living one. For Luke, depicting Jesus as a human being in all of his mortality was sufficient to understand the death and resurrection. And Luke is careful to regard the post-resurrection Jesus as continuing in terms of the human Son of Man, now regarded as the living one. With Luke's theology of the Son of Man as a human who represents the suffering righteous ones, as the climactic embodiment of God's personified wisdom, and as the mortal one who died and rose, we can confidently categorize this Christology as high human Christology rather than a Trinitarian or angelic Christology. Join us next week as we begin a multi-part study of the Gospel of John in its portrayal of Jesus as the Son of Man. Please consider supporting the Biblical Unitarian Podcast as it aims to promote these sound truths about the oneness of God and the humanity of Jesus. You may check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Thank you so much for listening to us at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith, and until next time, you folks take care.